we know that he healed people and, and, and so forth. But he's really pouring out to the churches his real concern for their spiritual growth. Our inner man is being renewed, we know, every day. We saw that in verse 16. He is praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen, he says, the inner man. And that's what we need. We need to be strengthened in the inner man so that they might comprehend what is Christ's love. And we need to do that too. And that love, he says, surpasses knowledge. Verse 19. It's so great you can't comprehend it. And when you hear it, you, don't, you can't understand it. Uh, and yet he is uh, saying, even though this is beyond comprehension, I'm praying that you will comprehend it. Sounds like double talk, doesn't it? But what he's saying here is that we can more and more every day as we walk in Christ, understand what that love is all about. That's what he's saying uh, towards his people. He says, I want you to, to grow in your understanding, to experience the love of Christ in such a way that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's verse 19 of chapter 3. And we all know uh, that the Spirit of God has... Uh, shed has been shed abroad in our hearts and we find that in Romans 5 5 that I preach through but he says and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us all a gift all a gift he says and, uh, and so God wants, to, wants us to know what this love is uh, why? So that we'll be joyous in Christ. So that we'll praise Him. Give Him the glory that He deserves. And we'll do that more and more as we understand His love for us. And uh, Paul says, he says it. Again, in verse 18, if you just knew only how wide and long and deep the love of God is for you, nothing in this life would ever get you down. And I believe that. And so really, when we fail to do that, we're failing to understand how deep that love is uh, uh, towards his people. And really, it's the key to losing heart, he says in verse 13. The important thing here is not so much that the saints, he says, grow in their love for Christ, but that they would grow in their understanding of his love for them. You understand? A lot of days I can't even find my love for him. But as we'll see, his love for me never changes. But, how is this, is that growing in our love for him accomplished? I think. How do you grow in the love for God? Reflecting on his great love for you. Remember in 1 John four nineteen it says, We love him because he first loved us. Now a lot of these things will be a repetition, but I just want to dig a little deeper than I have so far 
in this chapter. And of course we know what Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. God, we find, is the initiator. We are the responder. God initiates love. We respond. Why do we love him? Because he poured out his love into our hearts. Give him the praise. Give him the glory. That's what Paul is saying here. And uh, we don't have to love him first in order for him to love us. Because that would never happen. Why? God does not respond to our initiating love because we can't initiate love. You see that? You cannot initiate love. The lost man cannot initiate love towards God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. It's been poured out into your hearts. And your response as a responder is, thank you, God, for saving me. Not thank me because I'm so smart in seeing it. We get that order reversed. No, love is the fruit of the Spirit, uh, not the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me. So my prayer this morning is that you would understand more of his love for you. And I think that's the fuel to kindle the flame for your love for him. As you contemplate his love for you. Paul speaks of this subject in uh, Romans 8 that we went through as well. Uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, trouble, hardship, persecution, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And moving on uh, to verse 39, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so really, I want to discuss this. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. It's in Christ Jesus. The love is in Christ. Not me loving him, but him loving me. It's the love that's in him. Does that make sense? Well, I hope, hopefully we'll, we'll get there. Because of the love of Christ, nothing shall separate us. Uh, not even you yourself. Why? God loves you. That might be a simple answer. You might say, well, that, of course. No, he loves you. He has called you. He has elected you. He has loved you from throughout eternity. Give him the praise. Give him the glory. I want to look at this this morning at certain characteristics about this love of God in Christ that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. 
for one thing. We're going to get to that. But uh, for one thing, it's special. It's special, particular love. There is a general love of God that he has uh, for all people. Uh, There is a general goodness, a benevolence that God has to all creation. And that's what we learn in Matthew 5, 43 through 45. 5, 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And then here's the part I want you to see. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, that's God's general love for the whole world. Matter of fact, Psalm 145.9 says, God is good to all his creation." We have to understand that. There is a difference between his general love for all the world, but his specific love for us that's special, his electing love. We see that he has love for his people, uh, that saving, redeeming love is for his people. We see in Romans chapter 8, it starts out in verse 1, and it says, There is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Why? The whole chapter is about love. It's about love, how he loved you. And you will be saved at the end. There is no doubt about it. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you have to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ. You will be saved, most certainly, from the wrath to come. And uh, it's so important to understand that. Why? Why will you be saved from from the wrath to come? Because he loves you. Simply put, he loves you. It's interesting, uh, in John 3.16, we quote that, uh, for God so loved the world, so loved. The so there, the hutos, means in this way, in this special way. It's his great love that he has for us. And you must be in Christ to experience it. Notice John 3, 6, 16 does not say, I so love God that he, uh, that he gave. Doesn't say, I so love God that he gave his son. No. He loved us when we were his enemy. He died for us when we were ungodly. What should that draw from us? Praise. Joy. Peace. Rest. Because he so loved us in a special way. And I think John 3.16 speaks of that special love. So remember, the general benevolent love of God doesn't save anyone. 
But there is a saving love of God, a redeeming love that secures salvation of the soul for all of God's elect. That's what Paul's telling us here in Ephesians. Very clearly, I think he's saying that. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives in a special way that you don't love other women. Imagine if you said to your wife, or your wife said to you, Sid, do you love me? And I said, of course, Janine, I love all women. (laughs) How would she take that? Not well. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, that is right. See, I have a special love. And that's what God has for his children, a special love. So we need to understand most fully that we're special to God. You are special to God. He loves you in a particular special way. I think parents love their own children in a way that they don't love all children. Think about that. Remember, Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church in a special way. See, Christ loves his church so deeply and powerfully and loving that we can't even comprehend or imagine such love. Remember, the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We see in in, uh, John 10, 25 through 30, it says, Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. But the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad of that? So it's a special love, but it's also an eternal love. Now this is where we get real deep. Okay? This gets so deep that uh, I don't care how big a shovel you had and how good of a digger you are, you cannot dig deep enough into this. We find this, of course, as is found in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, blameless before him. Then, notice, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good intention of his will, and so forth. Uh, That's our God. He accomplishes what he sets out to do. This is something that he did before you were ever born, before the foundation. Matter of fact, this was from all eternity past. Did you know God had you in your mind from all eternity past? Because he, you will be in his mind 
to eternity future. So you know He's had you in His mind. You see, God doesn't learn anything. He doesn't think of things that He didn't already know, that He hadn't already... You were in His mind before anything was created. You, particular you, special you. Now everybody says, well, I'm not special. No, maybe in your sight and others, but in God's eyes you're special. This is what Paul is saying. He loves you eternally because God is eternal and you have been in his mind from all eternity. It had no beginning. It had his love for you had no beginning. Now can you fathom that? Didn't Paul just say this thing is deeper than and you can't comprehend it? But make an effort to comprehend it. Okay? That's what he's getting at, people. This thing is so incredible. You were in his mind before or from all eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, you were on his mind. I want you to know that's pretty incredible. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, it's eternal in both ways. If it had a beginning, it can also have an ending. But you say, with God, he is the great I am. Are you taking less credit for your salvation all the time? I hope that's what this is teaching you, that you had nothing to do with it. But you're special to God because he chose you. Does that make you angry? You better check where you are in your spiritual life, brothers and sisters. If that makes you angry, why does it make you angry? It ought to make you happy. You ought to rejoice. Because God is not, you don't make God in your mind. You accept God for what the Bible says about God. And his love is from everlasting to everlasting. You know what? He never changes his mind. He never says, you know, I wish... No, he doesn't change his mind. We change our minds because we don't know everything. Our choices are not wise, but God is all wise. He never goes back on his eternal decrees. You know, we may have to go to plan B or C, but not God. God sets his love on you and never will let you go. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you. Oh, there's a scripture for it. Oh, imagine that. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. There it is. So you were wondering whether that was actually there or not, right? Because see, that's how we think. But there it is. Everlasting means what? It never had a beginning. And it will never have an end because it never had a beginning. You were in the mind of God from all eternity. Does this, get, does, does this kind of blow your mind? I hope it does. But I hope it excites you. Because of that you can say, this is amazing love. This is amazing. 
that God would love a wretch like me, not a good catch like me. We get everything backwards from everlasting to everlasting. Thirdly, and I can see right now we're not going to finish this, but that's okay because we take up. God's love is not idle. It's operative. You know, it's not just pity only. It's pity joined with power. His love, his affection is expressed in action. You know, it's not like, boy, I have pity on that person over there. And then you walk off. No. God's pity takes action towards you particularly. And it's always focused on the cross. We'll see in uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, you see. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself. You see, that's the action. He loved you, but to say I love you and then done nothing is not love. You see, our God is a God who loves and takes action. And he died for us on the cross. And we can have salvation through him by trust, by grace. See, God gave. God gave. First John 4, 9 and 10 says, and this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. See, this is love. Not that we loved God, although we do when he pours that love into our hearts, but that he loved us and sent his son. That's the important thing. Wow. And it's because of his sending and his giving and his changing me, working in me, that I can now love Christ. That's amazing. And he does that by his mighty power. And that also is a pattern for our own lives as well because the next verse says, and I didn't put it there for this reason. Dear friends, since God so loved us in this way, is what he's saying, he gave, he's a giver, not a take. He gave, we also ought to love one another in the same way. Not on whether you perform, you husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church unconditionally, no matter how she acts. You're to give. Give 100% expecting nothing in return. That's what Jesus did. He gave. He loved. Expecting nothing in return. And he still loves us throughout all eternity. Wow. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Then we see also uh, that the love of God is gracious. That is, there's nothing in us that provokes God to love us. Now, I know you can't believe that because you're so good. 
But there's nothing in us that calls out to God to love you. There's nothing in you as a lost person that call that calls out to God to love you. His, his love is uninfluenced. You know, people and children, we had to be careful or taught from a child that God loves them. And he does, okay, in a sense. But there's a huge difference between God's general love for all mankind and his saving, redeeming love to his children. You know, we wonder why people have trouble believing the gospel. Well, for one thing, they don't have to repent because God already loves them. If you say God loves you in the state that you're in, you're telling them a lie. No, God wants you to repent. God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to follow Him. And then He has a special love for you. But what is their condition in the way they are? The wrath of God abides on them apart from Christ. They have to be in Christ. They have to trust Him. They have to follow Him and love Him. God's love is redeeming. Most of the scriptures speak of that. You know, there was, a, there was a, a bumper sticker that used to say, smile, God loves you. Well, in one sense, but in another sense, if you're lost, you better not smile. You better repent. Okay? God doesn't love you because you're special in and of yourself. In other words, God didn't get a great catch. How could God not love me? I'm such a good person. I don't understand why God wouldn't love me. I am so good. After all, everybody knows that. Because I'm so good to everybody. But see, you fail to see your fallen heart. That's the deception. A lost person fails to see his deceitful heart. And he thinks that he is good. But what does the scripture tell us? All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Pretty, Pretty plain, isn't it? Some people think inherently they're valuable to God in and of themselves, apart from Christ. Guess what? You're not. There's nothing in you that is good. There's nothing in you, in the natural man, in your fallen nature, that's good. Never will be. So, why does God love a certain person? Because he loves a person purposefully. There must be something about me that he loves. There's got to be something about me that he loves. Because, well, it just just stands to reason. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. 
and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It was because the Lord loved you, not because they were so good. We know that story. Heard about it. <laughs> Heard about that in Sunday school. Wow. Someone said God chose us because of his love and now loves us because of his choice. God chose us because of his love and now loves us because of his choice, but nothing in us. Why? Because of the good pleasure of his will. Because he willed to do it. 2 Timothy 1.9. We went through 2 Timothy, but I would just want to go back. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. Oh, you mean, that's right, not. I think that means nothing. No, because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Wow, he saved us because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ, Jesus, before the beginning of time, from everlasting to everlasting. Are you starting to get the picture here? And if you're not, pray God would open your eyes. Pray that God would show you who you are without Christ. You're nothing without Christ, but you're special to God in Christ. You are his bride. You are his beloved. You, well, let me put it this way. He loves you as much as he loves his own son. Why? You're in Christ. Does God the Father love his son? Does he ever? But you see, you're in Christ. He loves you just the same. If that doesn't excite you, I think you're mostly dead. You need to be rejoicing, rejoicing in your salvation because God is gracious. He is a gracious God. You see, if you say you can't... uh, Well, you can't say, God loves me because I. Anything. God loves me because I. You just failed the test. God loves me because he loves me. Because he has chosen to do that from from everlasting. How do I know that? I'm trusting him. Just give him the praise. Give him the glory. Why do you want the glory? You know, my thinking is, why would God want to save anybody? Some people say, God ought to save everybody. I'm surprised that he saves anybody. And I've had people tell me, if I was God, I'd save everybody. And I said, no, if you were God, you wouldn't save anybody. You're not very good to people right now. I know you wouldn't save them the way you treat people. No. I don't see how he saves anybody. It's gracious because it's unearned. 
See, God did not look down into the future and saw that Sid Phillips would be good, that he would choose him, that he would love him, and so therefore he chose him. How do we know that? Romans 9, we went through Romans 9. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins, okay, here we go. Before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad. In other words, God didn't look down into the future and say, I'm going to love Jacob because he's such a great guy. Why? Jacob was a rascal. Matter of fact, I would have chosen Esau. He was my kind of guy. You know, hunter, man, hero, deceiving Jacob. See? No, it was before, whoop, back. It was before the t- twins were born or had done anything good or, bore, good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand. Not by works. But by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. See, it's God's choice. Get used to it. But I want it not to just be something you hate, but I got to accept it because it's... No, I want it to be something you love because he loved you. He loves you. He loves me. Oh, wretched Sid Phillips who kicked against the pricks. He's gracious because it is unexpected. We deserve his wrath. Grace is not just unmerited favor, but it is God's unmerited favor in the place of merited wrath. See, that's what we merit. We merit wrath, but we don't get wrath. We get unmerited favor. See, we have done everything to forfeit his love. We have not loved him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And if you think you have, think again. We deserve his wrath. And I think you need to understand that to understand grace. I think you have to understand his love before you can understand grace. We have rebelled against him, shaken our fist at him, sinned against him in ways we don't even, not even aware of every day. Sin is so deceitful, we don't even take it seriously. Our old sin nature deceives us and says, Sid, you're a good person. God got a good catch when he got you. See, that's my sin nature. That's not the scripture. We need to be saying, how could God love me, a sinner? I've got several more points, but I will stop here. I just want to say, in closing, because there are a lot of verses, a lot of things I want to say, and I'll save those for next week. I want you to make God's love for you the initiative of your obedience to him. See, I don't want you to obey because you have to. I don't want you to 
feel guilty. And so I got to obey, but I want you to obey God because you love him because he first loved you. I want you to just rejoice in your salvation. I want you to be grateful, to be thankful, and to enjoy. Here it is, to enjoy God's love for you. And you know what? If you do that, if you go around enjoying God's love for you, it will change how you love other people. You see, that's what the gospel does. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to all those that believe. Let's make that our desire as well. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. And Father, as we just look into the depth of your love, it's so amazing. I, I can't even begin to comprehend such love. It's so high. It's so deep. It's so wide. It's beyond our understanding, and yet you've told us to comprehend it. All we can do, Lord, is stand amazed. Help us. Help us, Lord, to live in that amazement. That you who saved a wretch like me can save other people as well. Help me out of that love that you have for me reach out to other people. May they see the love of Christ, the love of Christ in me. Oh, God, give us grace to live the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen.